0: on this Friday where we're going to watch and look at the scenes on the path to Calvary. Just examine it. And uh, we look forward to you coming back. Uh, if you've got nothing going on this Sunday, I hope you'll be in church with us. We start a little early. We start at 9, but it's still good. We'll, we'll enjoy it together. So I uh, hope you'll be out on Easter Sunday. Mark chapter 15 and verse number 15. Mark 15, we'll start in verse number 15. And so Pilate, willing to contend the people... Release Barabbas, content the people, sorry, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus. And when he had scourged him to be crucified, and the soldiers led him away into the hall called and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple, and played the crown of thorns, and put it upon his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed, and it spit upon him and bowed their knees, worshipped him. And when they mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compelled one Simon of Cyrena, who passing by, come out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is, being interpreted, the place of the skull. And they gave him the drink. Wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, help us this morning as we examine this portion of Scripture, Mark chapter 15, about the path to Calvary, path that you took for us. You took for all mankind because you love us. We see such amazing grace. Lord, I pray you be with us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The scenes have been set. All right? All those involved with this are now in places. And everybody knows their lines, even though they don't even know what's going to take place. They haven't rehearsed it like you would do in a play. They didn't rehearse this. This is just comes together. The greatest act in human history, the greatest event in human history is about to play out. The verses that we just looked at are the aftermath uh, of the Lord's trial before the Jews and then Pilate, uh, both the Jewish leaders and the Roman governor, had condemned Jesus uh, to death and declared him worthy of death. The Jews did it because they hated him. They couldn't stand him. They, they, They hated the thought to the idea that he claimed to be their Messiah. He was not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. The Messiah they were looking for is going to overthrow the Romans, bring back their way of life, and would not challenge the way they thought and way they did things. So they reject him and they wanted him to be put away. Pilate condemned Jesus to death to save his own position with Rome. It was all about self-preservation for Pilate. He violated every conviction he had, or at least he should have. He convicted a man against whom there was no valid charge. He sinned against the truth. He sinned against integrity. He sinned against, uh, principle when he said, Jesus, to, you're, you're condemned to death. And he allowed an innocent man to be crucified to ensure his earthly security. Today we'll follow, as we already read in this portion of scripture, Jesus from Pilate's Hall to Mount Calvary, where he died for the sins of the world. And there's numerous scenes here. We're going to look at three in particular. And just kind of dive in a little bit and understand the story of Jesus' crucifixion just a little deeper. The first one is Jesus and the soldiers, verses 15 to 20. Here's a scene that we see with Jesus and the soldiers. Uh, the Jewish leaders have rendered their verdict back in verse 64 of the previous chapter uh, where they said that they condemned him to be guilty of death. Verse, uh, uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 64. And the people rendered their verdict in the same chapter, verses 12 and 14. And then Pilate rendered his verdict in verse 15. In an effort to transfer the blame for his decisions to the Jews, Pilate made a symbolic sign of washing his hands of the whole matter in Matthew 27. And in that same chapter, uh, the Jewish uh, folks accept the blame for the death of Christ uh, in that same chapter Matthew 27, verse 25. Then Pilate released Jesus into the custody of the soldiers to carry out the order that they had been given to of his death. Now, in verse fifteen, we see that he's handed over, and when he had scourged him, when the soldiers get into the hands of Jesus, they begin to abuse him. The first thing to do was scourge him. Now the Bible passes over this event very quickly, it does not go into any detail. And if, if you were doing a casual read of this, you might not think much about it. It doesn't sound pleasant, and it's not. Scourging was one of the most feared punishments given by the Roman government. The victim was stripped naked and forced to bend over a low pole. So the skin of his back was tight, no slackness, very taunt. And his hands and feet were tied, and he was whipped with a device the Romans called a flaglium. Other nicknames for this cruel torture was the scorpion, and you might have heard of this one, the cat of nine tails. The flagellum was a, consisted of a wooden handle, and with, from that wooden handle would come out strips of leather. And from those, at the end of those strips of leather, uh, leather, there would have been bone or metal tied to that leather. And the whip was used to beat the prisoner. He was beaten. The bone and the metal, and I have heard of glass putting in there as well, uh, would gouge out large chunks of flesh. Veins and sometimes arteries would be severed. On occasion, internal organs were exposed. It was a horrible event. Men died from this beating alone. Many men died from it. I I can't possibly describe to you the horror and... and the unbelievable pain that would have been associated with this, uh, but just allow us to understand that Jesus Christ allowed it to happen. He did it for us. He was scourged. He did it because He loves you. He loves me. He took our whipping that day. He did it to save our souls. He provided salvation through this and His death, His burial and resurrection, all to provide salvation. And it was divinely prophesied as well. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, it says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. We see the scoffing as well. So not only did they scourge him, uh, but they, they brought him into the fort uh, there, the, the praetorium there. That's the idea. And the whole band was there. And this refers to the whole cohort of the Romans there, and that was not a word that we usually use here today, more like a battalion, that's a word that we would all be familiar with. Uh, So about 600 men. All these soldiers that were not on duty showed up. They showed up to manhandle this prisoner. This was a routine thing for the soldiers to do. As long as they did not kill the condemned soldier before he suffered the prescribed judgment... The execution, they were free to do with the prisoner whatever they wanted. These men were heartless. These men were devoid of compassion for Jesus. Imagine the scene. Just imagine the scene. Jesus stands there before them. His body is weary from a long night without sleep because he was with the high priest and the Sanhedrin and those individuals the night previous. He was beaten by the hands of the high priest and the temple police. They had their time with him. He's bloodied from the scourging. His flesh, no doubt, hangs in ribbons from his back. There's blood pooling at his feet. You would think that seeing Jesus in such a condition would cause the soldiers to maybe have a little compassion, but they didn't. Instead, they played a cruel joke, a cruel game, scoffing him as king. They wrapped a purple cloth around his shoulders, and they made a crown of thorns and placed it upon his head, and they made a reed to put in his hand to act like a scepter. and they heard all the accusations that Jesus was the king of the Jews, so they dressed him up like a king, and they mocked him. They bend their knees to mock him and salute him. This was not true worship, this was a scene of mockery. You know that mockery still exists in our world today. The world at best gives lip service to Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. They do not love Him. They do not respect Him. His name is trodden underfoot. They do not desire to live for Him. They do not care about His Word, His will, or His ways. The world at best pays lip service. But there's no love in their hearts for Him. As Christians, we should always love the Lord. Amen? That should be our desire. That should be a goal each and every day. But uh, I know us as humans, we can get away. We can go down our own path and do our own thing. And our love can grow cold. Oh, let's make sure that we stir the fire of love for our Savior once again. That we, we live for Him. We can profess all kinds of things. I could profess that I'm the greatest uh, plane jet fighter pilot in the world. And you all know that's not true. But I could profess it. What you do speaks so loud that I can't hear you. what you say. How do you live your life, Christian? Because how you live it speaks louder than your words. And people are watching. Let's make sure our profession is sure and we're showing them Jesus. So they mocked him. They smite him. In verse number 19, they smote him on the head with a reed and it spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. Again, this was not uh, a, a... uh, whipping like the, the flagellum earlier. This was, uh, uh, intended to mock him and ridicule him. They placed a the crown of thorns on his head, the final act of cruelty, and they took that reed and they placed it in his hand and they beat him repeatedly with it. Spit on him. I mean, so humiliating. They took that purple garment off him and reopened the wounds that had begun to dry. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but maybe you have cut your arm and your, maybe your shirt was up and you put your shirt on it. And then when you go to take off your shirt, it rips open that wound again. It's dried up a little bit, acts as a bandage, and you take it off and the wound is open again. And so with this, I don't doubt that this happened. And so he begins to bleed again. I mean, Jesus is broken. He's humiliated. And now they lead him away to death. I'm telling you, folks, this is a picture of God's grace for us. It's a picture of God's grace. Remember who they're beating here. This is the Son of God. We believe in the Trinity. He is part of the Trinity. He is part of the Godhead. He is God. And they're beating Him. They are mocking Him. They're spitting upon His face. They're abusing God and He allows it to provide salvation for all. What grace. What amazing grace. He created these men. He allowed these men to be it. He possessed the power to destroy them. And He would not have to raise a hand. He wouldn't have to raise a foot. All He would have to do is think about it and they would be passed on. Had He wanted, He could have summed the countless angels to do battle for Him. That's what He said in Matthew 26, verse 53. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father and He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? He endured it all because He loves us. He suffered the shame, the pain, and the mockery because He loves me, He loves you, He loves the world. We are blessed to have such an amazing Savior. Amazing Savior. Not one of hate, not one of violence, but one of love and compassion. Jesus wore a scarlet robe in the Pilate's Hall that morning. Before the day would end, Jesus would bear my scarlet sins. He would bear your scarlet sins on the cross. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Jesus wore a crown of thorns that day. You know the thorns symbolized the curse of sin. I'm going to read for you Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 17. This is where man has fallen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it, of of thy life. Thorns, ossels, and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread until thou art return unto the ground from out of it which thou art taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return it. It's a symbolizing of that, the sin cursed earth. Before that day would end, Jesus would bear the full weight of the curse of sin. He would pay sin's debt, the whole debt, nothing left, no interest, nothing recurring. It is totally paid off, totally done and guaranteed that he would deliver this world from that horrible sin curse. And Romans chapter 8, verse 20 tells us, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him, but a subject the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. He provided salvation. He provided a way for all men to come to Him. So that's the scene with the soldiers. Now the second scene is Jesus and Simon. He had finished... The soldiers have finished their cruel game. And they lead Jesus to the way of Calvary, the way of his execution. And they make their way. And Jesus is unable to bear that cross. Now, history tells us that uh, Jesus would have carried the cross member. That's what a a traditional Roman way of doing it. It wasn't the whole cross uh, that sometimes we've seen illustrated. It was the beam that went across the top. And it was a heavy beam. And he could not lift it. It would be tied across the soldiers of the condemned man and then forced to carry it to his crucifixion. But due to his weariness from being up all night, the abuse at the hands of his accusers, and then the loss of blood through the scourging, and he was just too weak to carry that cross. And the soldiers grabbed a man by the name of Simon in verse 21. And they compelled one, Simon, and from the crowd, they take him. Not, not just known about Simon. All we know about is he's, he's from Cyrene, and uh, that's modern-day Libya, that part of the world. And we know that he was in Jerusalem at the time of Passover. So I think we have a strong case to say that uh, he was a Jew. He was come to worship. And he came a long way to worship. That was no short distance. It probably took him years to get the finances together to be there. It probably took him months to get that far. And we don't know for certain, but maybe his family's with him. It's definitely a possibility. He had come to offer a Passover lamb. And he comes face to face with the Lamb of God. And this was no chance meeting. God had planned. The Lord of the Lord tells us that they compelled Simon uh, to carry the Lord's cross. The, the, the Romans had a um, a law that they could enlist civilians, uh, any civilian, uh, particularly not Roman citizen, but any other civilian, to do things for them, uh, and uh, they had to perform the task. And if they didn't, uh, their life might end that day if they didn't do what they were told to do. And actually, uh, the Lord uh, mentions this practice in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, where he says, And whosoever shall compel thee to go one, to go a mile, go with him twain. So to go two. So you imagine if that would be a great testimony, right? Talking about let your action speak. You know, if you took that an extra mile, the Roman soldier would be asking you, Why are you doing this? You only have to go one. That's all that is required of you. So that's what he's referring to here. That's the idea of being compelled. They're doing this. They're pressed in the public service. You know, this was not something to be compelled to be like, oh, i got to lift the cross. This was shame. This was a degrading act of unmanage. You, you never even want to, This was a nightmare. You never wanted to be carrying the cross of a person. No soldier would stoop to it. No Jewish individual will ever want to do it. And especially on the eve of the Passover... To carry the cross, branded a person, and that would make him ceremonially unclean. For Simon, the Passover was over the minute he touched that cross. And the idea here of compelled is he was forced. I can almost see in my mind's eyes that they point at him, and he's trying to find duck and cover. He's trying to get out of the way. But they grab him and make him do it. It probably was the threat of death that made uh, this African man pick up the cross and carry it. Regardless of the circumstances, the moment he did touch that cross, he was marked. What a picture for those of us who claim to be Christians today. Did you realize that the cross of Jesus is still associated with shame? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus said the one, uh, one of the marks of the disciples that they had a willingness to this, and a desire to carry the cross that Jesus tells them, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, and follow me. This passage makes clear that those who follow Jesus must be willing to deny and to follow Jesus. That should be a characteristic of all believers, of all Christians. Just as a condemned criminal was forced to carry his cross to show the world he was submissive to the rules he once rebelled against, so the born-again believer must bear the cross of Christ, it shows the world that we are now submissive to the rule the one that we formerly rebelled against. Hey, in our hearts, in an unsaved position, we rebel against Christ. But when we accept Christ as Savior, we willingly take it and say, I follow Christ. It's a vivid image. A vivid image. His salvation. There's no, there's no accident that Simon and his family were passing Jerusalem at that precise moment. It was the providence of the Lord that allowed the pass the cross with Jesus Christ. I cannot understand all the workings of our Lord. I do not understand how all the ways He does things. I can think of portions of Scripture. I think about the woman at the well. The day when she was there to pull water and Jesus was there. And He showed her and talked to her about, hey, drinking from a well will never have to drink again. Amen? And He's referring to salvation. He's referring to Him accepting Him as Savior. I think about the Ethiopian eunuch. In the middle of the desert... No one else around. The Lord uh, miraculously brings Philip across his way and says, "Hey, I'll show you the way." That was a miracle of Jesus Christ that He was there, and Philip heard the words of the eunuch in his chariot. I don't think they had those stealth units back then. You know, it would have made a racket. You know, I haven't heard too many chariots that are super quiet. They make noise. You know, and he's reading aloud and Philip hears, it's all the Lord's hand. He did it. He brought it together. Hey, he brings it together for those who seek the Son of God. Amen. If you seek Him, He will be found. He will not hide Himself. They're seeking. We don't know when Simon came to know the Lord. We're not given the exact date of His salvation, but we have every reason to believe He did. Mark mentions Alex and Rufus here, Alexander and Rufus. Their names have been familiar to Christians uh, throughout history and early church history. Later, Paul was closing his letter to the Romans, and he mentions Rufus and his mother, uh, and the mother of Rufus, and even goes so far as to adopt her as his own mother. Romans sixteen thirteen. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. I think we see indication that something happened here in the heart of Simon and his family. They came, they had an encounter with Christ, they accepted him as Lord. The change is evident. Something happened. What a picture of God's grace! It's amazing! Just like Simon, I was minding my own business. I was searching, I wasn't getting in anybody's face, I wasn't looking for wealth or fame, I was just wondering about life, how am I going to do this life? Then on April 1st, 1996, I, as a 19-year-old man, met Jesus. I mean, I met Him, I wasn't a passing, hello, how are you doing? I accepted Christ as Savior. And it changed my life. He grabbed my attention. I realized the need that I was lost and I was heading to a crisis eternity. If I continued the way I was and I wasn't doing bad things, I was trying to live a good moral life, I was a nice guy trying to help anybody I could. But nice guys don't get to heaven. You get to heaven through Jesus Christ. That's how you get to heaven. And I was transformed the moment I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I was transformed. The work on the cross made it possible so many years before. He can do the same thing for you today. And if you've never accepted Christ as Savior, I've got some great news for you. You can. And it will change your life. And only will it change this life. I guarantee you that if I didn't get saved in April 1st, 1996, I would not be standing here today. But only to change this life and the direction I was headed, but it changes my eternity, where I will go. Because all of us will take a last breath. No one lives forever, and there is an eternity somewhere. You can deny, you say it's not true. Yeah, you go right ahead, but you'll find out when you take your last breath. There is, it's real, and then it's too late, my friend. And then it's too late. Accept Christ today. He changes everything. The final scene is Jesus and the skull of Golgotha in verses 22 and 23. And they bring him unto the place of Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. So he's offered this narcotic mixture. This was not designed to give the condemned men comfort. This was given for the soldiers' convenience. They didn't care how much Jesus or the others suffered. And the idea is they drank this, they were just a little bit easier to get on the cross. Not too many people were willing to stretch out their hands and get nailed to a wooden beam. So the idea is that it was there to help in that regard. And they offered to Jesus and he refused. When Jesus offered this mind-numbing drink, he refused this because Jesus came to this world to die for sin. He came for that purpose. He came to drink of the dreads of his father's cup of wrath. In Mark 14 it talks about, and he said, I have a father, all things are possible unto thee. That take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. He knew what was coming. He knew why he came. He came to die for all, that he could provide salvation for all. For him he had made to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that he may be made the righteousness of God in him. He never sinned, folks. Jesus Christ was sinless. Anybody else tells you different, they're lying. We can trust the Word of God. The Word of God tells us that He was sinless. And He had to be sinless in order to be the perfect Lamb of God. He had to be the perfect sacrifice. Jesus wanted to do it, and He wanted to do it with His mind clear. Jesus was willingly endure all the physical mental, emotional, and spiritual agonies of the cross without any relief. He desired to suffer the full measure of the punishment that I deserve, that the world deserved, And He did it for me, and He did it for you, and we need to praise God for it, that He was willing to do it for us. It was a place of callousness. Verse 24, And when they crucified Him, they parted His garments... Casting lots upon them. What every man should take. The depths of human depravity are very evident in this scene. And in the scenes of all the things with Calvary. After the soldiers nail Jesus to the cross. They gather around at the foot of that cross. And they take his last possession. His only possession. And they gamble over it. The very clothes that was on his back. And this was, again, a prophecy being fulfilled. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. It shows us how wicked men can be. Their heart was, were hardened and they had a blind eye and a deaf ear to the sufferings of those condemned hanging on the cross that day. Now, we have no business going too hard on these soldiers though. We can't say, oh, if it was us, it would be so much different. No, it wouldn't be any different. Most of us demonstrated at some time that same kind of callousness in our own lives. We could care less. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm staying out of it. I am not. I don't care. If it doesn't affect me, I don't care about it. We, we do become very self-centered. And our society often encourages that. It's all about you. You're number one. And we can get our eyes off the Savior real quick. And we can be encouraged if we have never had our eyes on the Savior to continue to be focused upon us. So we got no business getting real upset with the soldiers because we could be callous as well. It was a place of crucifixion. It was the third hour and they crucified him. The Bible is an amazing book, folks. And I hope you spend time every day reading it. And if you don't, let me challenge you to do it. Get in the book. Get in the Bible and read it. All four gospel writers write about the crucifixion. But the event itself is never described. It's never told us how it went about. One of the most important events, the most important event in human history, uh, and they crucified him. Again, not much to give in the way of description. It it, it just lets us know that he was crucified on Calvary. Important facts. I found a description that I want to read to you. A death by crucifixion included all the pain and death of a horrible situation. Dizziness, cramps, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness. Uh, fever, shame, publicity of that shame, a long continuance of torment, horror, horror of anticipation, mortification of, of wounds, all stopping just short of the sure relief of unconsciousness. So the idea, is it was pushed to the point where you would not pass into unconsciousness. <clears throat> The unnatural position made it every moment painful. The lacerated veins, the crushed tendons throbbed with anguish. The wounds inflamed by exposure gradually gangrene. Our Lord passed away quickly. Some people lasted days on the cross the arteries, especially that they had in the stomach, became swollen. There was all kinds of discharge, all kinds of other things that were bringing misery, increasing it, making it burning and raging thirst. And uh, and then just the whole process of the body shutting down brought the idea, the prospect of death. That's what they wanted to be released from this pain. One thing is certain. The first century execution was not like modern ones, it was not quick and painless, but, and there was no preservation of any kind of dignity. If anything, it was agonizing torture, complete humiliation, and that is what Jesus Christ went through for you and for me. The deaths of Jesus of Nazareth and the two thieves that day did not was just business as usual for the Roman Empire. It didn't meet, it's a send off any uh, blips on the radar. These three Jewish men, who care? They broke the law. They die. While the world, the earth at that time, did not see anything significant, I'm telling you, it was the most significant. Heaven noticed. Heaven watched. The Father witnessed the death of His Son. And He was satisfied. The sins penalty had been paid and sinners could be saved. Amazing grace. Amazing. The crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ opened a way to God that would that will never be closed. Now all of those who come to Him by faith, trusting uh, His death and burial and resurrection as their sole hope of salvation will be eternally saved by the grace of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, it, it's, it blows the mind if we sit and think about it. Romans 10.9 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hey folks, It's simple. All, what he went through for us was excruciating. It's beyond our imagination. It's not thing that we would ever want to partake of. And it's something we want to stay far from. But I'm going to tell you now, what he provided for us is a simple gift that anyone can receive. Anybody. For whosoever. I know I've mentioned it before in the pulpit. I remember as a kid and as a young adult here, take out that word whosoever and put your name in there. For Joe, for John, for Tina, for Elizabeth. So call upon the name of the Lord and shall be saved. It's not hard. It doesn't take you 12 steps of reformation. It's accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And guess what? You're immediately transformed. It's not a reformation, folks. It's a transformation. And it's through Jesus Christ. It's through what he did on the cross for us. Oh, Christian, are you reminded of His love once again? Are you filled with praise? Are you filled with thanksgiving that the Savior would give Himself for life, for salvation? Wouldn't today be a good day to just give Him thanks once again? Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me. I didn't deserve it. Worship Him because of His love for us. Worship Him because of the great gift He's given to us. Give Him the honor and glory that's due. Or maybe as a Christian, you've grown a little cold. Maybe things aren't where they need to be. I kind of hope, I more than hope, or kind of hope, I really hope, I desire that if that's the case for you, that the message today, the the Word of God today you've seen would grow and and allow the, the, the flames of love to grow again for Christ. He's amazing. And He deserves your love. Why love anything else but Him? Maybe it was here this afternoon and you've never accepted Christ as Savior. Maybe it's being shown to you from God's Word by His Holy Spirit moving in your heart that you need salvation. Oh, maybe you have been religious and maybe you have gone to church and maybe you've done all those things. Hey, I'm going to tell you right now, me and you were on the same path at one time. I did all those things. I went to a church just like this every Sunday. But it wasn't until I was 19 years old that I realized in my heart that I was lost. My good works, going to church, being a good young fellow, and doing the things I know I should didn't provide salvation. is through Jesus Christ. Why not make today the day when you stop holding back and you go to Jesus? Today can be your day of salvation. And don't say, well, I'll put it off to a more convenient day. You are not guaranteed another day. Do it today. Don't delay. Christ loves you. And I cannot, I don't know what other verses I'd have to show you that indicate how much Christ loves you because of what He did for us. The scenes and the path to Calvary. I hope you've accepted Christ the Savior. Dear Jesus, Lord, I pray you'd help us now. Help us to learn learn to love You even more as believers. I pray, Lord, You move in the hearts of those who are here that might not know You as Savior. Your Word, allow it to penetrate. Allow it to convict. And Lord, we have seen time and time again the transforming power of salvation. Lord, I pray You bless this invitation now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.